I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Mac McMillan, Co-Founder, President, and CEO of Privacy and Security Consulting Firm, Synergistic, about recent trends involving cyber insurance in the healthcare sector. So, Mac, thanks so much for joining me. Before we dig into the issues that you're seeing regarding cyber insurance, I just want to welcome you back. You recently returned as CEO of Synergistic after retiring a couple of years ago. What brought you back? Well, Marianne, the the gentleman that replaced me decided to depart, and the board asked me if I would come back and lead the company again, and and I couldn't say no. Number one, I I love this industry. I love what we do. Uh, Obviously, I love the company that that I started uh, with my partner many years ago um, and all the folks uh, in that company and and what we do. And so it was a pretty easy decision for me uh, actually to come back and, and help the company continue to grow and uh, stay focused on the things that we love to do and do best, which is helping our healthcare customers improve their security and meet the needs that they have around privacy and security and compliance. And it was uh, kind of an easy decision, I think, overall, because of, you know, all the great experience I'd had before. And uh, and I was, I'm always uh, willing to get in there and do what, what I need to do to, to help any situation. And speaking of healthcare, I understand that you're seeing some emerging and probably for healthcare provider organizations, upsetting trends involving the demands that cyber insurers are making when it comes to renewing policies that includes steeply rising premiums and long detailed list of requirements for underwriting purposes. What are you seeing exactly? For instance, how much are premiums rising and what sorts of demands are being made in terms of requirements for underwriting? I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things that, I mean, I I was keeping a a close eye on before I retired because already I was beginning to see some of the stress in the industry uh, around the breaches that were happening and the payouts that were occurring. And I I think, quite frankly, that, that the cyber insurance providers or carriers um, never really anticipated the depth or the scope of these the damages that a lot of these cyber uh, incidents have been causing in terms of losses to to the uh, institutions that have been affected. And so this is a, I think this is a, a, a unfortunately a, a natural evolution that's not necessarily a very positive thing. In that the cyber uh, carriers are beginning to look at some of these some of these incidents and what it's costing. And a classic example of that, uh, and I, I applaud them for uh, being open about this and helping others to understand exactly what these things are costing, is the Scripps incident that just happened earlier this year and the information that they provided to the public with respect to what that incident has meant to them in terms of cost and, and, and oh, by the way, what they expect to recover from their cyber insurance carrier. And they're looking at somewhere north of $113 million in cost or impact from that incident. And they're, and they, but they only expect somewhere in the neighborhood of around $21 million in recovery from their cyber insurance uh, carrier. So when you look at that, you realize that, you know, and what I used to tell people all the time is, you can't, you know, cyber insurance is not going to bail you out. Cyber insurance is not going to cover all the cost of a cyber incident. And in most cases, it's not going to cover most of the cost of a cyber incident. And you can't look at it that way. It's only a, it's only a portion of, of whatever your 
your solution is. But what's happening too is that they're looking at these these payoffs and they're saying, you know what, this is we we need to have a better assurance that the people that we're insuring are doing the things that they should be doing before we cover them, before we bind with them. And so what we're seeing is is the premiums are are being are are starting to go up steeply. Uh, and the underwriting uh, requirements are are also getting more specific. And I talked to two CIOs specifically at at Hims uh, that brought this issue up to me, and one of them said that he had he had been told by his carrier that he could expect anywhere from a four to six x increase in his premiums, which is incredible. I mean, that's a very steep uh, increase, and unless he could could assure them that he had done all the things that they felt that he needed to do in order to to have uh, an environment that was as secure as it could be. And even then, he was expecting a pretty steep increase in his premium. And then the other one literally got a got a message from their carrier that said, "You're looking at a 4x uh, increase in your premiums, and unless you can answer all these questions, and it was a it was a uh, separate checklist, if you will, of, of requirements uh, around ransomware specifically uh, that was an addendum to their already existing underwriting requirements that the organization had to had to basically provide answers with respect to whether or not they had very specific solutions, if you will, implemented in their environment. Now, all the things that they're asking for are very reasonable from a cybersecurity perspective. All the things that they're asking for are absolutely needed uh, to have a very uh, uh, resilient program, if you will. But unfortunately, we have a lot of our health systems that don't have uh, all these things implemented. And so now they're looking at increased premiums, increased costs, and still a product that doesn't cover their losses or, or all of their losses with respect to the to these incidents. So, you know, I, as I used to tell people all the time, and I still say it today, your best defense is your is a best defense. Meaning, you need to build a program that makes your environment as resilient as as as, as is humanly possible, and understand that there is a cost to using technology that you're going to have to invest in security. And you need to be ready, and you need to test what you have, and you need to be prepared that when an incident occurs, uh, you can respond quickly and efficiently so that you can mitigate the damage. So, Mac, you mentioned the demands that you know these underwriters are making, and that you know some of the things that they're asking for make sense. But what are they asking for that's now sort of a requirement that maybe they weren't asking for in the past? It's things very specific things like like privileged access management, right? Or a PAM solution, if you will. And and it was very interesting to me to actually see that some of them are actually asking specifically for a PAM solution as opposed to saying, do you have a process for protecting uh, privileged access? They're talking about multi-factor access internally as opposed to just externally. I mean, when you look at a lot of our health systems today, you look at the, the risk assessments that are performed and and the reports that are made, we have a lot of our hospitals have adopted or healthcare providers have adopted multi-factor authentication as it relates to remote connectivity. People understand if you're not in the hospital, if you're not on your computer, uh, if you're connecting from a, a, a non 
system device, you need to have that second factor to be able to authenticate appropriately and make sure that, that it's you and not someone else uh, that's connecting and that, and that you have a secure connection. But having MFA or multi-factor authentication internally to the network for a lot of our organizations is still something that they don't have, that they don't do. And part of it's because, frankly, for some people, they, they consider it to be very inconvenient. I mean, like for me, when I go to log into one of our applications, even though I'm on our network, I always have to put in that second factor because we have MFA deployed on a lot of our critical applications internally uh, so that you can't, I can't just lose my, use my login to get in. And the reason for that and the reason they want these kinds of solutions is because, first of all, when hackers get in, the first thing they try to do is to exploit an elevated privilege or a privilege access so that they can then begin to move laterally within the environment and compromise other parts of the network. You know, if, they, if you have a privileged access management solution in place or multi-factor authentication on, your, on all of your accounts and all of your critical applications and, and these privileged accounts, it makes it much, much more difficult for an attacker to actually exploit your environment or to or to be able to move easily across the environment. So that's why they want people to have it. And it, and it makes all the sense in the world. And th those solutions are out there. But like I said, most people have, have been very reluctant to implement them internally. You know, one of the other solutions that they expect, most people are using Office 365. You know, the question is, do you have Exchange Online Protection deployed as part of your 365 deployment? Are you actually protecting your email to the extent that you can? Uh, do you have email exchanges? I mean, are you are you able to quarantine mail and, and test it before it comes internal to the network so that you don't import things that you don't want to import? Are you managing your addressing appropriately and your DNS is appropriately? Do you have endpoint protection in place or an EDR solution? And they call those out as well. And again, these are solutions that, again, make it more difficult for an attacker to move laterally in your environment. I mean, because we know that most of our healthcare systems, to, even still today, have very little internal segmentation. And what I mean by that, I mean true segmentation. And just, just creating a bunch of VLANs doesn't necessarily truly segment your environment. It puts assets in different places, uh, but it doesn't stop me necessarily from moving from one VLAN to another. You need to have real control over devices and what device communicates with what other device. And to the extent possible, you need we need to begin to limit that so that if a device is compromised, then the only other thing that could be could potentially be compromised is is other things that that perhaps communicates with and understand what those things are. These are not solutions that are necessarily brand new. These are solutions that I know our teams have been have been talking to folks for several years now on in terms of recommendations, in terms of segmentation, in terms of EDR, in terms of, of MFA and, and PAM, but we haven't seen the adoption of those technologies to the extent that I certainly think that we need to in order to begin to be more effective at avoiding some of the, the downsides of some of these incidents that occur. So being that, you know, there's this list of requirements, some of these things are not things that are, I guess, necessarily friendly to sort of what the healthcare sector expects 
in terms of security protection, in terms of maybe inconveniences or whatever. What happens if they don't have these things? Are they being rejected from coverage? Are their premiums higher? What's the outcome? Is it impossible to get insurance? So, you know, that's going to be an interesting an interesting question to answer over time. And if what I was told is accurate from the folks who shared with me their exchanges with their carrier, they've been told that that minimally their their premiums are going to go up, period, but their premiums could go up even higher if they don't have these various solutions or protections or, or controls in place. And in some cases, they've been told, and depending on how you answer these questions, we could drop coverage altogether. So it'll be interesting to see what exactly transpires over time. But I think in the short run, we can expect that it's it's going to cost our industry more to have this insurance unless we get a lot more serious about deploying the solutions that we need to protect our environment properly. So Mac, when it comes to ransoms, how much influence do you see the cyber insurance insurers having over decisions to pay or not to pay? And the amount of ransoms being paid in the healthcare sector because there's life or death situations. Well, certainly, if if part of their cyber insurance is is coverage for any cost directly related to the incident, like ransom, then the cyber carrier is going to have some influence with respect to that because they absolutely could say, well, if you don't have these things in place, meaning. If you don't have best practices according to what we feel best practices are from an underwriting perspective in place, we could refuse to reimburse you for that ransom uh, if you pay it. And so now you're going to have organizations put in a spot where if they choose to pay the ransom for some reason or decide they need to pay the ransom for some some reason and they don't have all these things in place, if they could find that that would be one of the costs that doesn't get reimbursed. Mac, what about ransomware and patient safety issues, potential patient injuries or even deaths that could result of a ransomware disruption? How are the insurers handling those potential issues? Do they fall under cyber insurance? Do they fall under malpractice? Where do these things sort of fall or maybe they're still not sorted out? I think the short answer is it's still not sorted out as it relates to cyber carriers. And that's a good question, Marianne, that I'd have to look into a little bit further, but I have, I've not heard of any cyber carrier that specifically addresses harm to a patient as a result of an incident in terms of coverage. Um, I would guess that that would be, be covered at least now under whatever malpractice insurance uh, that a hospital has or, or if there was a claim it would probably be handled there, but it would eventually come over to, were they doing the things that were responsible to avoid that incident occurring? And certainly if the if the cyber carrier that they're using has articulated a set of requirements that they feel are best practice for underwriting, and an organization uh, has not met those, then if an incident occurred that affected someone and they were sued otherwise, that that could potentially be part of the dialogue with respect to whether or not there was culpability. So, you know, I don't know that for sure. That's really more of a question for the lawyers and the insurance people directly. I would think that you would want to be able to present the best case possible 
with respect to what you had done to provide adequate protection for the data or the or the system or the network in any in any case that you have, whether it's a patient harm or or privacy compromise. Finally, Mac, going back to your return to Synergistic, obviously the emergence of COVID happened while you were retired, but what other cybersecurity issues or new developments have surfaced since you were retired, but now you've returned that you most challenging for the healthcare sector? I think the biggest one, I guess, is the increase in the amount of ransomware that's out there now and the way that they are utilizing it to compromise organizations and to create stress. I think the the other one that concerned me a lot that I was watching uh, while I was retired and is the attacks that are happening on supply chain, on third-party providers who support critical industries. And it's not just healthcare, but, but healthcare obviously now has a much bigger footprint when it comes to the supply, their supply chain around IT. A lot of what we do is done or performed or hosted uh, by third parties. And so now, as I always tell people, their disruption is your disruption. And it's not just a matter of, you know, CIOs have a much tougher job today and and CISOs because it's not just about what's inside the four walls of the hospital. It's about where everywhere that their data and their systems and their services are being performed, which is literally a pretty wide footprint today. Well, I want to thank you, Mac, for your time. I've been speaking to Mac McMillan of Synergistec. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.